Elijah, man. Nice to uh, nice to meet you, bro. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, I know you're on the podcast with. Uh, you just had that one-on-one with Kwame, but this is yeah, like yeah, first time we've actually got to meet. Yeah, well, if you want, we can uh, we can start we can start there. I got a couple questions for you. Just I want to kind of get actually, you know what? Let me get to know you a little bit first, and then we'll talk about the podcast. Okay. Um, but tell me a little bit just about your background, your story, um, what part of town you're from, um, and just yeah, I guess how you uh, when when you started first getting into uh, this lovely game of ours. Yeah, so uh, my mom's from England. My dad's from Trinidad. Um, no one in my family really played too much hockey. I don't know. You might know my cousin, uh, Austin Cordato. I know the name, he, yeah. Yeah, he played for Kingston, Halifax, Guelph, a little bit. I don't know if he – He's. A, I believe he's in 86 or 87. So yeah. around – you're in 86, yeah, right? 86. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so – he was the only one in my family that played hockey. And after just watching him a little bit, I started to get involved in the game. And at first I wasn't too good. I could skate really fast, but couldn't stop and turn. And my dad and mom have always just been stay, stay persistent, keep working hard. And then eventually I just started to get a little bit better at it. And over time I started to fall in love with it more and more. And, um, yeah, went and played with Brampton for a little bit, then the Reps, then the Marlies, then uh, obviously got drafted by Kitchener. Played two years there, loved it there, and then got traded to Niagara, and uh, that's where I finished my career. And now I'm over at Ryerson. Yeah, what's it? Uh, what's it like right now? Obviously, you're not playing at Ryerson, but what's that experience been like in your first? your freshman season and then hockey kind of gets taken away and there's so much that's happening and, and I don't know, it's cra- kind of crazy times right now. Yeah. Honestly, it's like it's one of the weirdest years of my life. It's probably for, for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, for the last, I don't know how many years I've been playing hockey pretty much throughout the year, whether it's training in the summer, or actual games in the winter, I've always been on the ice. And this is the first time where it's like, there's nothing and there's no training. There's no, games so and then even going into a new team you're expecting to kind of get a fresh start maybe have a big year maybe get a job in europe or the nhl or pro somewhere yeah and then for that to kind of be taken away and then going on top of that going into next season there's going to be a whole new recruiting class going in with us cohort yeah that'll just make the the competition that much harder but um the schooling part has been very good. We Ryerson's been pretty good with making sure that we're all comfortable. We all have uh, academic mentors in our first year, mm-hmm. so uh, getting through classes it's it's been pretty easy. It's uh, been easier than I thought. I I figured handling four or five classes at a time would be would be hell, but no, it's been pretty good. I've done pretty good in my classes so far, and That's I'm enjoying cool. it. That was good to hear. Yeah, you're totally right about. <clears throat> I mean, this is that you're still a young guy, obviously, but this has definitely got to be one of the strangest years. And I just retired uh, at the end of March. I was playing in Germany my last year, and I'm actually really grateful that I'm not playing right now, given the pandemic and everything, just because I couldn't as hockey players, like as athletes, we're so regimented. You know, we're we always have, like you said, whether it's off season or in season, you always kind of know what you're going to be doing. 
you always have your routine, you have your schedule. We're very militant and disciplined and staying towards that. And then that just kind of stops. And that would be a weird. That's a weird kind of mental. It's not just on our physical side, which is so much of what we do, but on the mental side, it's like, what's, what do I do now? Everything's just put on hold. So it's, and you keep trying to work towards something, but you don't exactly maybe know when the kickoff point's going to come. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't imagine. I mean, again, for the mental side of that, that's like why I'm happy. I didn't want to be in a position still playing, um, but like fighting for a job or, you know, I didn't want like my body to be the one telling me I had to shut down or not being able to get a job or, and obviously the pandemic has hurt <laughs> positions and sports yeah. so much more. You want to control of exactly. So exactly. So I'm happy I could, I could roll out on my own and not have to worry about that. It's funny when you talk about your cousin and like having him be, you know, the only one you kind of, I guess, like in your family who is, hockey a hockey based athlete or or just interested in the game so my my mom is my mom's from canada she's a mix of uh, british irish scottish and my dad's jamaican and so say my dad came over he was uh uh well in the 70s he was an olympic athlete he was an olympic sprinter for canada he was for 10 years actually he was canada's fastest um man oh wow so always had the kind of he was a, in, drafted to the Argos in '77. So always, I mean, he was a very good athlete. Just my brother and I grew up that. playing. My bro and I we grew up playing everything. But I think for myself, like being a Canadian kid, uh, you know, hockey was always kind of normal. Like for to to have an interest in, all your friends do it. You know, you play foot hockey in the playground with the tennis ball. You yeah. play sticks. You play road hockey. You play ice. You play whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you play it on your video games, you watch it, you're trading cards. But I think for the same way you had your cousin, like we weren't, my mom grew up playing hockey as a Canadian girl. But for me, again, it was, I looked up to my brother and I think it was, there's so few people of color playing the game at young ages as well for us. Um, similar probably to the way maybe you had your cousin. I had my, um, my brother as a way to kind of like look up and be like, make it feel normal. You know what I mean? That we can, mm-hmm. that, that this is for us so that we can do it. And, and at such a young age where you maybe don't see race as much or under, or, or perhaps appreciate the differences of perspectives, having kind of like that older sibling or relative to sort of look up to uh, was definitely an in for me as well. You, we mentioned, you mentioned the podcast that you're on soul on ice with Kwame and Akil. Um, I've talked to, a little bit to Akil. I, uh, I actually got so actually if you're in, in Niagara, you would know uh Nick Hornby as well. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so he more. was so he was my well, he was our one of our assistant equipment managers with um uh when I played with the Toronto Marlies. So after Akil's uh big time goal last year in, in uh, the world juniors, I had to reach out. He's still holding it for me. He's got a signed jersey for me, but I uh huh. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to see him obviously because of the pandemic. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming he still has it for me. But so I had a couple of chats uh, or just a little couple back and forth text with Akil and obviously I know Kwame, but that's like a pretty, that's awesome. That podcast, um, the awareness of it, just like having three brothers talking hockey on a podcast is foreign for a lot of people, maybe not for us, but mm-hmm. it's foreign for a lot of people and it's on an NHL platform. I mean, what yeah. does that mean for you to be, a part of that, especially at, again, at a young age, like you and Akil are both just exiting juniors and you already have your voices are being streamed on NHL platforms. 
and they're black voices about hockey. I mean, that's what does that mean for you? Yeah, well, at first, like, when we first started off, we weren't really thinking to take it that far. We were just like, maybe this is a way to interact with our, our fans in Niagara or some other people around. And as it started to get bigger, we started to realize the importance of it and, and how much this is affecting people. And, um, mm-hmm. like, speaking for myself, probably for you too, like, growing up, we didn't see that anywhere. Like, black voices coming together, talking about their experiences and what it's like. So maybe we're inspiring some kids to play hockey or some kid to stay in hockey. I mean, as sad as it is, there's still kids out there getting uh, bullied and facing racism. And, you know, there could be some kids that are going to quit hockey because of that. And it's sad that in, in 2021, that's still a reality. So to be able to come to, together and use our voice, especially on the national level and have the league supporting us, it's uh, it's pretty big for us. Absolutely. I, I think you're totally right in what you're saying. That it's, um, you know, there, it's kind of crazy 2021 that, that there is still, there's young black kids playing hockey, even in the GTA that are quitting because of what the hockey culture uh, mm-hmm. or how the hockey culture treats them. And not we, just- we had a, a dad reach out and ask if we can talk to his kid because someone called him the N word on the ice and he, he felt really uncomfortable, didn't want to play anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, it's how is that still happening? And unfortunately it is. And it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm still not even confident saying that it's, it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness building built around it right now. And your podcast is a perfect example of that. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't have an opportunity to listen to, mm-hmm. believe me, if I was a kid, if I was, you know, 10, 12 years old, I'd be listening to a couple OHL brothers playing along with uh, a black filmmaker who's made a hockey documentary. I would 100% be tuning yeah. in because when I was a kid playing, I don't know if you did this, but uh, from, I mean, what's the first year I'm going to date myself here, but probably I think like NHL 96, maybe NHL 97 with Sega Genesis. It's like mm-hmm. the first time you could, at least I could like make myself, maybe it was 95, 96. And I created myself, but like, I would start to make a team where I would start to trade. This was late nineties. I started to do this trade for all the brothers I knew in the league. And oh, I, would, I, I still do that right now. Right? <laughs> I got my team with like Simmons. Yeah. Even you my rating's pretty low. I put myself on there. Exactly. Yeah. Stewart, both the Stewart brothers. Both exactly. So, so that well, so that's funny you say that because I do the exact same thing. But I think that speaks to again the testament of what you're doing with your podcast. Like it 100% resonates with young black youth and and young youth of color who are getting interested in the hockey to be able to look up and see themselves represented and mm-hmm. to have that physical manifestation of actually you know, the, like for me, it was the Jerome McGinley's and, and Anson Carter's and Mike Greer's and Peter, I was like, just Jean-Luc Grandpierre. I didn't care if you were only played, like, I found you. I went through rosters and went through everyone's like, yeah. oh, bitch, to make sure, like, I'm not missing anyone because it might be something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's dope, man. I like that because I did that as a kid. So I'm most certainly, and clearly you did too, you still do. So a hundred percent, man, kids are going to do that. And, and it really means something. It doesn't mean matter if you're black russian jewish like whatever it is that might make you different or make you unique you're going to relate to your own kind again mm-hmm. whether that's race ethnicity religion nationality so to be able to have more representation 
is huge because uh, I ended up making it and a lot of my love and passion and hunger to kind of pursue this life came from seeing dudes who look like me also doing it you know it made it feel like it was something I could achieve as well uh, I'm obviously I'm part white as well so I'm very connected to that side of my family but you know I know what it's like walking around and being looked at and treated and talked to differently so it's nice to be able to know like there's others that like you can relate to. Okay. Well, I, I got a couple more, some more questions. Um, like in your junior days, just playing whatever, where'd you grow up playing? Were you in the, the Toronto area? Yeah, I was in the Toronto area. Okay. So I'm in Ottawa. Um, when, or presumably you have, because I don't think there's a black hockey player or player of color who hasn't experienced this, but have you ever, and if so, when was your first experience dealing with racism in hockey? Well, the first time I think, honestly, for any black players, like when you're old enough, when you walk in that room and like not people don't try to stare at you, but when you're the only black guy there, people stare at you. It's 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 inevitable. So right there, it's it's a feeling that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but in terms of like actually playing, I remember one time we were playing in the states, and it was uh, I was on the Marlies at the time, and it was a tournament between like some of the top teams in Canada, some of the top teams in, in the U S and um, I was just playing. I wasn't doing anything. I, I'm not much of a, a chirper unless I need to be, but that game, I was just playing and, and there was kind of like a scruffle after the whistle and I pushed the guy and then he called me the N word and it kind of, like I just like froze for a second. I didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then, I just kept thinking that whole game. I was playing forward that game, but I kept thinking just like go score a goal, go, go score a goal. And I ended up scoring, but it was just for me, it was like instead of like slashing him and getting kicked out of the game, it was like if I do that, like I'm letting him win. Let me just go score and try and win the game. So that was the first time I really dealt with it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't make me necessarily want to be violent. I just wanted to like, my parents have always said, like, be the bigger person. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to go out, be the bigger person, let him deal with his own ignorance. That's actually wild to me that that was your reaction because, for one, so, like, how old would you have been? Like, 14 or something? I was 12 or 13. 12, 13, so even younger. What's wild to me there is that that type of a response shows – a lot of maturity into like not it's so i mean just in hockey in general it's so easy to retaliate <laughs> right and like yeah, you're work. allowed to so it's exactly it doesn't have to be you know an end bomb that's being dropped to, for me to retaliate to somebody yeah. but have it being that circumstance and having you still be like what is going to be a better response what is going to show that person that i actually do belong what's going to stick it to him and his ignorance more than me punching him in the face or getting a penalty or you know making a scene out of this it's scoring that goal and that to me is so powerful because a lot of people and a lot of players don't understand exactly what you would have gone through right there this isn't a chirp about um you know, your skating stride about the stick you're using about whatever about you getting rocked last shift. It's, 
it's about something that you actually physically, it's an intrinsic factor. You, you actually can't change this detail about you, but that's why they're choosing or this individual is choosing to chirp you. But then your response to not get heated and to take that as a, I'm not going to let that win. I'm not going to let that deter me there. I'm going to prove in fact that I'm better than this guy. And, and I'm going to show it on the score sheet or in scoreboard. Those are the types of moments of uh, resiliency and strength that athletes like, like Jackie Robinson and Willie O'Ree, you know, had to show so, so not just the, those pioneers, but so many black athletes before our time would have had to endure and they simply can't take the same type of aggressive response because it'll in fact only hurt them or end them down the road. And that's something that this is what I love about black hockey players or, or hockey players of colors perspectives coming out is allowing, I think the voice to be heard that these experiences really aren't paralleled to a lot of people who don't look like us in our sport. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that it's so easy to be chirped for something. And then you punch or slash that person, you get a penalty and then it's kind of settled afterwards, or maybe you, you know, the parents get wind of it afterwards and something happens, but in the mature response that you took, was deeper than just initial aggression. And that's on a human level because emotions mm -hmm. pop off and it's really easy to react in like a physical way, yeah. but to have to silently endure that and to choose to make your response be more impactful in a manner that's like, no, nah, no, nah, bro, you're not, you're not letting me feel uncomfortable or unwanted here. I'm in fact going to mm -hmm. show you, I'm going to make this a lasting memory for you. Yeah. On that, the guy you just called an N word, just <laughs> put one up on the scoreboard against you. Mm -hmm. that individual hundred percent is going to remember that those are those moments that in sports and in our sport that we have, I can't, I mean, I commend you, bro. Like a 10 years or sorry, 12 years old, like having to respond like that. I don't even know if I would have been able to do that for one. And I certainly know a lot of our peers, not only would never have that understanding, but be able to actually re react that way. And, and in turn, making that a victory for you instead of perhaps a victory for the opponent. So that's, that's, a, I commend you for that. Cause that's an incredibly mature response. And Thank you. If that's your parents who put that on your ear, man, then kudos to them as well. Cause that's um, it's so, it's just so easy for <clears throat> being a victim of racism for myself. It's just so easy to, it's so you easily get so angered. It's, it's, I was asked this summer, doing some after I wrote an article in the Players Tribune, um, which was post George Floyd, George Floyd's murder. And it was called Silence is Violence. And it was kind of just calling out um, advocacy from our, well, from a lot of from the majority population from our, our, our white allies and friends and teammates and fans and everyone else that, you know, to, to truly understand and hear these cries, if it's getting as bad as it is now where cities are burning, maybe don't think like all these, you know, this group of people is out of their mind, but no, think of what type of pain you must be going through. If your cry for help is to react like that, it means that there's been mm -hmm. centuries and decades and generations of this type of an emotion, but it never actually being understood or else we would have dealt with this a long, long time ago in a much, we tried to when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. We tried, there's so many, and, ways. And, and you can look back in history at all the different ways that people have tried. Absolutely. Exactly. There's the civil war was fought, the civil rights movement with MLK and Malcolm X and, and Marcus Garvey before their times. And there's um, 80s rights, 90s rights. Like it's, it's not a new thing, you know, but it's, 
anyways, in, in that manner of, of, of post the article, I was doing some TSN interviews and I was being asked like, what does it feel like when you're a victim of a racial epithet or racial slur? And it was kind of hard to articulate because in my opinion, it's really like, like a minimum of five different emotions, like immediately it's anger, but it's also like sadness. It's defeat. It's, 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 it's a pain that you can't, it's a, like a stab wound, but you're, you don't understand why that person did it because it's because of a factor you actually just cannot change about yourself. So it actually merits no value on the type of person you are because it's really just, uh, you know, why, because of my pigmentation, um, I'm going to be called this nasty, like tr- purely hateful word or, or, or have this joke be made in my direction or, or something thrown at me because I'm the big black guy at the bar who's, you know, who's clearly standing out. Like these things happen in my career so often and it really is hard to try to articulate it. But back again to like your ability to handle it so maturely is people don't really understand the deep rooted pain that just comes from someone blasting you or throwing hate your way without you actually doing anything to merit it. Um, and then just expecting you to like go about your business like you're unfazed. You know, it's yeah. a really hard thing to be able to yeah. manage and juggle those emotions. But it's something that every black hockey player from the Negro League over 120 plus years ago to today are still dealing with. Um, did you ever have, what was your experience like? Let's just talk about Kitsch for a second. But like, what was your experience like? The good or the bad? I want to hear like the good side because you said, you know, Kitsch, you, <laughs> you liked being Kitchener as did I. I thought it was, it was one of the best junior uh, teams or organizations in the country. But some good and, and, and at the same time, did you ever at that level of hockey uh, experience anything racially as well? Yeah, so right away in Kitsch, um, I got drafted there. Troy Smith was a coach when I got drafted. And then right after that, like before I even played for Troy, he was fired and Mike Van Ryan took over. I don't know if you know Rhino, but he uh, he's one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. And right away, he made me feel like really comfortable. Um, I roomed with Frank Hora for a little bit. And uh, don't know if you know Frank, but he's a good veteran. And they right away, they just made me feel comfortable there. Uh, there was a, a couple times where, you know, when guys maybe say or do like borderline racist things, but they don't, they don't really know it. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple times with that, but I actually did have one of the guys message me this past year saying, Hey, I don't know if I ever made you feel uncomfortable or whatever, but I'm sorry. And for me that, that meant the world. Um, I think being able to recognize a mistake or somewhere where you weren't, necessarily being the way you should be and being able to take ownership of that 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 meant a lot but no I, I made a lot of good friends in Kitchener's uh I loved it there my first year was great I had a real good rookie year played a lot and then my second year I just uh you know second year going into your draft year, you're expecting to to play a ton especially after having a good year mm-hmm. um and for me things kind of just went downhill I wasn't playing a lot um, I couldn't really understand why I was told I needed to work on my defensive side of the game. So I worked on that and still wasn't playing. And for a bit of time, I like I, I started to become like a bad teammate in a way, which I'd never really had happen in my life. And and um, 
wasn't until after that season where I was able to take a step back and kind of realize that no matter what happened, I should have been a good teammate. I should have been um, being a good person. And I, I wasn't going out there and like being the worst guy to be around. I just wasn't being myself. And I've always tried to look at myself as a leader and I just wasn't being that. So first year in Kitchener was great. Second year was a little bit up and down, but that second year honestly was probably the most impactful benefit. Most the year that benefited me the most right. um, was that second year in Kitchener because it, it taught me so much about myself, about life, just a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say, that. I mean, to me that like the being of uh, you saying you weren't being a great teammate, like I'm sure it wasn't so much that you weren't being a great teammate. It's just your standard of, of what you normally are for a yeah. leader. And as a teammate is when things, and this is another thing that outsiders like struggle and they'll never really understand um, anyone who hasn't played that elite level sport or that competitive sport where like so much, like you said, as your draft year, right? Like so much is on the table. It's the mental side when things aren't going well in your own personal performance and how you mentally try to, well, how you mentally react into that. And it's not always in your control, right? We often like one thing I had to learn in my career was constantly telling myself, and this came from being with the devils and being with Lou Lamorello because he controls everything and you control very little. But it's reminding yourself, like, you can't trip out. You can't stress about what you can't control. And, again, it's easier said than done. But learning that early on helped me out a lot because then you can just focus on doing you. But it sounds like for me it's not that you became a bad teammate, but more so we're just – when there's, it's high stakes, man, and if things aren't going well for you and there's a lot on the table and this could be your livelihood and all of a sudden for no real under, explainable reason, your minutes are being reduced and your opportunity is being shortened it's hard to like show up and be like your normal, joyful, smiley, personable self. Yeah. You don't want to put your own personal, especially the teams doing well. Like you, I would never want to bring, trust me, this happened a lot to me in my career. I was a six, seventh defenseman a lot in the NHL. So there's lots of healthy scratches. You're doing well all of a sudden, boom, you're out of the lineup. No real explanation. Right. And you'd always try to not put your own issues like above like the team. Like you don't want to bring your maybe negative attitude into the locker room where that's like buzzing and flying and the boys are winning mm-hmm. at the same time. Like that's, it's hard because yeah. you're all of a sudden created, like there's a distance that's creating. We'd go on the road and I'd go to dinner sometimes solo, like by myself, just cause I was like, I can't be around these dudes right now. Cause they're just on a level that I feel so disassociated with. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's challenging, but again, um, I'm sure you were, yeah, more just what you You're said. You're still like being a, a great little, dude. You just were in your head a little bit, you know? Yeah, more in my head. But I want to talk about your time in Kitch. I mean, I think we were 10 years apart. Um, okay. You were a captain there for a little bit, so I don't know what, what it was like for you there. Yeah, I got there. Uh, so I got there late. My story was, the, the short version of it was, I was playing Tier 2 juniors in Ottawa here. I was uh, one year removed from high school and was going part-time to Carleton University because I always wanted to go NCAA. That was kind of my path. This was like the 2004-05 season. And things with my junior team just kind of collapsed. Um, Our GM just sort of mid-game got into a a beef with uh, the owner, got fired on the spot. The coaches found out after the game, they all quit. And these guys were like all really good hockey minds. Um, Thankfully, one of the coaches in Kitchen at the time, Freddie Parker, was – uh, used to coach with these guys here in Ottawa. 
So they had reached out. They said, look, this team's just kind of falling apart out of nowhere. There's maybe one or two guys on this team who have a chance to go somewhere. I think you should reach out and try to grab this kid. So I was still kind of like school bound. They called me, they said, uh, or my, my coaches called me and said, you really got to hear these guys out. I was a 12th round draft to the Barry Colt. So like I was never really considering the OHL. And at the time it was uh, Peter DeBoer was coaching and GM and, and Steve Spot, who's now with them in Vegas. He, he and Freddie Parker came down to find me. They met with me and my dad. I remember I skipped school and like I skipped the class, I think on uh, Thursday or something. I went to the Westin for brunch with the two assistant coaches from the Rangers and they basically laid it out for me. Like it's a lockout season right now. Junior hockey is like all the buzz. We're not that from far from Toronto. So we get like 20 something NHL scouts a game. And that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more scouts that are coming into the Earl Armstrong arena in yeah. Gloucester, Ottawa, you know? <laughs> so anyways, just like that, I, that was a Thursday. They kind of rolled out like what they could do for me with an academic package. I, I still went to Waterloo when I was in Kitchener, University of Waterloo. Um, and so they just kind of convinced me right there. I signed up, uh, played my last game of tier two juniors with the boys that Thursday night, told them I was bouncing by Saturday, me and my old man drove to St. Mike's. We met the team. Uh, Mike Richards was the captain, David Clarkson, Andre Benoit, but Boris Wolabic, Matt Lashoff, all these NHL drafted players were on the team and uh, met them, dressed my first game and bust back to Kitch afterwards and met my billets. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> It just like happened, all happened real Thursday. quick. Yeah. Thursday, I met the coaches. Saturday, I signed a contract and was on the team playing my first game. Fast forwarding to the end of that season, we had an incredible team, incredible season. That was when London Knights were like OGs of all of um, Canadian junior hockey that year. So, so pretty much every year. Yeah, well, it was kind yeah. of like one, two, yeah, with, with yeah. the Rangers and, and London, but they had like Corey Perry, Robbie Shrimp, Mark McCoy. Yeah, that, that team that was crazy. Like so many guys who have gone long, long years in the NHL, David Bolin, Kostitsin, like all these dudes. And um, anyways, we uh, we lost to them in the conference finals, but I ended up getting drafted third round um, that year to Jersey. So it couldn't have worked out better. Uh, I, from there, the next year, I was named captain. So I only I played less than a year, and then DeBoer gave me the C. Uh, which was a wow. huge honor. Um, I, I took some flack from, from the Kitchener fans back then because I was a very defensive defenseman and like, I didn't score a goal the whole year. And, and, you know, when that's the case, people don't see like everything you do as a leader off yeah. the ice in the yeah. locker room or for the guys, they have no idea. It's more of like, this guy's not putting up points. How is he our captain? He doesn't win us games. How is he? It's, our it's captain? not till you, it's not till you play the game and you realize well, exactly. that guy's blocking five, six shots a game and, <laughs> well, all the little things precisely yeah like my uh I, my first like game puck when i was a captain i remember was against the kingston uh frontenacs in kitsch and we came back but i fought twice that game and mm. uh one of them was actually against chris stewart um <laughs> for some <laughs> reason that go? i always it was good uh we fought again years years later actually in the nhl um a couple of days after I fought Simmons. <laughs> so we actually were chatting the second time around. He's like, I saw you had a good one with Simmer. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And, and sure enough, this score was, we were leading. So he asked me for a go, man, he's just such a big dude. Like mm -hmm. he, we're kind of the same height or like around, like I'm six, three is probably on the same size, but like 
such a big lad and he's one of those scarborough boys you know so he's been rumbling yeah. like back stewie c has been rumbling since he was like eight years old being up 13 year old guys yeah. you know but no he i just remember him being so strong and i think both stewart brothers were capable of throwing left too i don't know if they're predominantly left so i had to be prepared but point is yeah like i loved it man kitsch was great i sort of vibe in. i had the responsibilities of the captain which they did kind of wear on me my second year because i felt like a lot of that outside pressure of being like you know criticized for not being the prototypical junior captain maybe um but nevertheless i just love my time this city was great again i went to waterloo which is dope i got drafted from there because largely because i played there um so i'm all forever grateful to kitchener my billets i had two different billets but both families were great to me who 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 are your billets they still I had the Finleysons the first year. I don't know if they still do it. They were with, um, before me, they had Derek Roy. Uh, the name sounds really familiar. Actually. And um, and then similar area, end of town, um, the Martins. The okay. Martins, uh, they're still they're still billeting. Um, it was, they had Dave Clarkson and Adam Keefe. Then it was me and Dan Turple, Kevin Henderson, and Matt uh, Halaschuk. I'm not sure who would have been around your age. They had Skinner. I don't know if you know wherever Jeff Skinner lived. Um, no. but it was, um, I think I'm trying to remember. I think it was, I think it was off Fisher Hallman. <laughs> I like, nice. I haven't thought of that name for a while, but I'm pretty sure that's an exit in Kitchener on the highway. Okay. I probably, I probably know who they are. If I'm I saw sure them. You were. they were teachers, but anyways, they, they, it was, uh, they they were awesome as well. But, uh, anyways, no, yeah. Kitchener for me, was great, but there's one, like, I was going to ask you, like, again, if any racial experiences or instances you had, juniors and i had one i'm sure this has happened to like all of us as black hockey players but you know where you get the fans and, and someone tells you uh, stick to playing basketball which is just like such a low-hanging fruit typical thing to say to a black guy right stick to playing yeah. basketball. even when people look at me in the elevator or something because they see i'm six three and they're like you must play basketball and that doesn't offend me because to them i'm just a big black guy i guess but in my mind i'm like I'd be small in basketball and yeah. actually, no, I play, I'm Canadian and I play hockey and I'm very like happy and proud that I play hockey, but mm -hmm. it's just never this expected, but we were in Erie and uh, same exact thing that happened to Devo to Devonte Smith Pelly when he was in Washington in, in Chicago. And it was just God, I don't know if the dude's still there, but the guy who sat beside the penalty box in Erie was just a uh, kind of a, a, a redneck chirper. Yeah, he's he's still there actually. I know yeah, exactly you're talking. About. All I remember is he'd have like a white Budweiser jersey on, but the jersey like wasn't white anymore. It was like so dirty and like yeah. just need really needed to be washed. <laughs> but um that type of dude. And anyways, yeah, he was giving me the gears one game. I was probably in there a couple times. And then he just started hitting me with the basketball bombs and like stick to playing basketball. What are you doing out here? Blah blah, you're a joke, all this type of stuff. And I started scoring, there's like this much crack between like the glass, like I couldn't get him obviously, but I was squirting water at him, which created a scene, just like when Devo stood up and it created a scene and security did end up bouncing him. And then I think my coaches told me afterwards that uh, there was, I can't remember what time of year, it might've been towards the end of the season, but they like banned him for the remainder of the regular season games, which is probably like four to five-ish games. But that I remember like, that was one of my most blatant ones, like in public, especially from a fan um, that I experienced. And I would have been, I guess, 18 at the time. My earlier ones were like 14 and unfortunately continued to happen until I was 30. But um, that was one of the few I can say, though, that I remember from my like OHL days. 
uh, for the most part, my experiences were all fairly good. And definitely like my experiences within Kitchener were, were all enjoyable. The organization was just, I used to call it, it was like a, a junior like NHL team is how it felt like the city was awesome. The, the kind of community board of owners was, was great and gave us lots of leash and, and our facilities were dope. The fans were great. The team was always amazing. Um, I was very grateful and fortunate and happy to be uh, playing Kitch. One thing I want to ask you about, because you would have played with Akil in Niagara, right? Yep. We played three years together, three? Or two and a half. So as a black hockey player, and like you said, it might not, it's, it might not be like, well, it's not necessarily racist by any means, but the, when, you, when you walk into a locker room, you're, you know what it's like to feel eyes on you in a way that like you don't know. <laughs> you feel like I'm more, more, people are looking at me in a way that they don't normally stare, right? So when you're in a locker room, I've had a couple times in my career in New Jersey to play with other black hockey players. Does that, what does that mean for you? Again, kind of like what we were saying earlier, when it, you have that, again, when I said you're Russian or Jewish, but when you, you gravitate in any office, in any work environment, you gravitate to those that are like-minded or that are like you. That's so seldomly experienced in hockey for us, but I had that experience with New Jersey, with Johnny O'Dea and Bryce Salvador and Kevin Weeks and Jean Grandpierre. What is what was that like for you? Because it's we're very comfortable in the hockey locker room, anyways. We're gonna make friends with all of our white teammates. Like that's not the issue, but it is kind of a, a comfort or like a slice of home when you can talk about music, food, culture with someone who actually does get you, and you don't have to maybe be afraid of being seen as culturally un- misunderstood, and I say that meaning like. I would have to censor myself a lot of times in locker rooms. I'm a very nice guy. I'm, I'm a, you know, as a leader, as a captain a lot, uh, I would always hang me with the, like, I, I was just one of the dudes, but I'd have to take my earrings out. If I was rolling into the room, you know, you'd cover up any tattoos you'd have. Like there was just a conception of, of that's not what we're about. And yeah. I felt like sometimes having another black teammate around, um, gave me someone at times to lean on, whether it's the guy in the fans, the, the stands who's chirping you, a player on the ice calling you an N-word, someone just in passing when you stop to eat, who like a waitress who maybe says something weird to you, but you're kind of like, you know, you only say that to me, but to not to anyone else. Um, what did you get from having a kill uh, as, a, as a teammate? Yeah, so for majority of my life, actually, my, my best friend, a uh, black hockey player, had played on my team. So I was fortunate enough to have that up until I went to the Marlies, which What's his name? was four Let's give years. A shout out. What's his name? Don, Dante Sheriff. He's at Mercyhurst right now. He's actually nice. killing it out there. So nice. good, good for him. But up until I went to the Marlies, I, I've always had another black player on my team. And then the Marlies, I didn't. Or sorry, I had I had Nick Price there. Sorry, but uh, I had Nick Price with the Marlies, and then with Kitchener, I didn't have anyone. Mm-hmm. So when I got traded to Niagara right away, I knew Akil was there and it kind of, it gives you that sense of like, okay, there's somebody like me there. Like this is right away. It's, you don't even know him, but it's almost, you feel like there's somebody, you know, there. Mm -hmm. So when I first got to Niagara, I I didn't really know anyone. I knew maybe I knew one guy who I played with on the Marlies and um, Akil got called up to our team a little bit. So I knew him 
a little, but not really. But right away, I wanted to just kind of keep quiet. I didn't want people to like judge me really quick. I wanted to keep quiet, get to know people because you, like you said, all, all eyes are on you when you're yeah. a hockey player, whether you want them on you or not, whether people are thinking good things or bad things, the eyes are still on you. So I just wanted to make sure I made a good first impression, but having a kill there was, was pretty big for both of us. I would say having someone to kind of just lean on mm -hmm. um, our families even became close because in the rink, when, when you go to a game, there's a ton of white people and, when you see that other black family that you can relate to it, it's, it's a uh, pretty special. So for, absolutely, I, I don't want to speak just for a kill, but we've, we've talked about this a lot of how, how big it's been. And, you know, we were each other's best friends on the team. So mm. we, that bond was a uh, pretty special and it was there pretty quick because we, we were, we were like each other. So we, we gravitated towards each other for that reason. Absolutely. And that, that's it exactly. It's, it's, it would honestly be no different if there was a veteran Russian player on a team and then a new Russian draft pick came in and just having that comfort of that, knowing that we're affiliated in the same time, we have a similar palette, whether that be for like food, for music, for culture, for clothes, the way we dress, the way we maybe speak even. Um, and you don't have to feel so distant. There's a lot of times for me in the locker room where me being the black guy on the team uh, was almost like a, it was almost a prop. It was like used as like a, a way for me to get in with people, but we had to kind of highlight it's like, I'm doing something that the black guy would do. And yeah. like that generates laughs and that, and that like, haha, it's safe and friendly for us to now laugh and be friends with him. But it's like, it couldn't just be like, Hey man, what's up? I'm Mark. <laughs> and then yeah. we yeah. almost had to like, I almost felt like at times me being a minority had to like be talked about for everyone else in the room to be like, okay, so like we can just be comfortable and normal with this dude yeah. instead of just like being comfortable and normal with the dude right from the get go sort of thing. Not to say that the guys wouldn't be, but it was weird for me. Like, I don't know if you felt that, but I always almost felt like mm -hmm. being the black hockey player, I had to use my blackness to kind of break the ice yeah. to then become one of the dudes because i am the guy who wants to kind of like dance around and like mess around and just be me in the room but yeah. if i kind of come in hot just doing that then it's kind of like whoa we're not ready for that but if mm -hmm. you're if it's like pointed out they're like oh he's the brother he can do that then it almost like you're i almost needed to not get permission but to like create this comfortable space for myself to actually be my normal me because yeah. just coming in being my normal self might be perceived as like, whoa, man, we're not ready for that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a weird thing when you are the only black guy on a team or the only minority maybe on a team. And don't get me wrong. I'm not a hood. I'm not a gangster. I'm not trying to like come into a cocky locker room and like flip the script. I'm just legit yeah. trying to be myself. And that's yeah. just a biracial dude from Ottawa who likes certain things on this side and likes certain things on that side. But it's one question I want to ask is <clears throat> looking at where hockey is now from our experiences from other, um, you know, minorities and people of color in the game of hockey's experiences with some of the pain points we still see today in the game, guys like uh, Akeem Elieu have been vocal about in the last year, HDA has been formed. Um, 
you know, things that have just recently, even last year, happened to Keandre Miller with the New York Rangers on their podcast, an interview with him. What is something that you would want to see change or perhaps grow uh, as far as as far as the minority experience goes in, in hockey? Well, kind of what, what Kitch is, is working on here, and my mom has talked to me about this a lot, and we've gone back and forth. But I think racism, I don't think anybody is born racist. I don't, I don't believe in that. I agree. I think that comes from whether it's the parents or wherever it comes from, it comes from somewhere. So I think like programs need to be put in place from a younger age and, and people need to be like, in, it shouldn't get, it shouldn't be, you get to the NHL and then you start working on, on how to deal with racism. It should start at the GTHL. It should start at the OHL. So I think if, if you, there's no reason with the the resources, with the, the, the money, the, the people around that all every single one of these teams have mm-hmm. that there shouldn't be programs in place to to help spread awareness, to help people deal with these things. So I'd like to see from all levels challenging all levels GTHL, whether it's the, the youngest group, the oldest group, all, all OHL teams to to just start getting that awareness out and setting up a safe space for for players to play. I couldn't agree more. I think <clears throat> there's, first of all, yeah, this is amazing what Kitchen is doing. And, and before we hopped on the call, I was saying like, I'm surprised uh, when I found out because I've been talking to a few of my former NHL teams about doing something similar to this or just creating some type of initiative or, or diversity and inclusion positions in the club. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, the LA Kings are the only one who has that on the NHL level. But it, yeah. I believe at the NHL at the top, obviously it can trickle down, but it shouldn't just be in the hands of, excuse me, the top leagues. It should be, like you said, to the junior leagues, hockey, Canada, to USA hockey, to the GTHL and other minor leagues. Um, there's, you know, a lot of black representation in the GTHL, but there's also youth black representation that's quitting hockey for what we mentioned earlier, you know, not feeling like it's at the end of the day, how many racial epithets can I actually tolerate before I just don't want to play this game anymore? And yeah. that's a shame because for me, <clears throat> this is not a new issue and sure it's being highlighted more now, but because it's not a new issue, these things have been happening for a long time. And a lot of the people who have been running these, um, the, the leagues or, or, or the clubs, whatever it may be, they know about it, but racism for a lot of people is a hard thing to, address and to deal with but the unfortunate thing is when you're not doing anything to properly address it you're just continuing to enable it and you're continuing to allow it to happen to the victims and again this is nothing new in our society and it's certainly nothing new in the game or culture of hockey either as we would both know one of the things that i love is again in trying to create that advocacy because it is an uncomfortable conversation but it isn't always for the victim (laughs) We're the ones who are trying to talk about it and have our voices be heard. It's for the majority that is tough. So it's getting the old guard of hockey to come around, to start seeing the new way, to start understanding, to start wanting to tap into whole new resources and and communities of support. Talking about the minority, like fanship, getting minorities more involved in the game, making them feel more comfortable in the game, growing awareness internally, 
it doesn't have to be an ugly or a messy or a tough conversation if there is like Kitchener's doing the, you know, creating a BIPOC program where they can train athletes and employees and billets and family members. We have to do it in the NHL level. We go through security training. We go through like media training. You go through, why not do it on this level yeah. too? You know, it doesn't make sense yeah, to me. Right. You wouldn't tackle like something that's so significant and important on this level as well. So I agree with you there. That's, that's the type of change I want to see, but it takes actual action. It's yeah. not about retweeting. It's not about posting something, you know, it's not about uh, a, a decal you put on your helmet for the month of February. It's about a constant push towards the growth of the game and the inclusion. If we want to actually say that this is Canada's game, and if we want to actually say that this is the best game in the world, when I walk out the streets on can- in Canada, in my high school, in the malls, in, in stores, in downtown, whatever, I see a lot of multiculturalism. So we need yeah. to be able to embrace that to actually make it our game um, in, instead of just uh, the majority uh, game. One thing that you said with your boy, your teammate who reached out to you recently, who said, you know, I hope I was never, you know, said anything rude or mean or made you feel a certain way. And if I did, I'm sorry. One of the things like in the past year that have touched me the most <clears throat> are seeing white hockey players use their platform. Again, not just in a post or a one-off tweet, but in an actual well-constructed articulate message that's challenging others to follow what they're doing. And that has honestly brought me to tears. It was Blake Wheeler, my former teammate, Ben Scrivens, uh, Connor Carrick, like watching some of these guys say what they said was kind of like, finally, someone who doesn't look like me, but is exactly like me understands what it is we're talking about here. So creating, so these types of programs that the Kitchener is doing, um, I think are fantastic. And I'm sure, like you said, for you, it said it meant the world. And it means the world for me too, to not, to know that we have allyship. Um, we, have, we As boys in the locker room, we always have brothers in arms, right? That we'll go to war with. But outside of the game itself, we need to know that we have allies and partners who are not just going to uh, thumb out a post or a tweet, but also get behind um, initiatives and be advocates and raise, like you said, racism's taught, you know, teach their own household. Uh, the important thing about what Kitch is doing here with the Rangers are highlighting our perspectives, you know, highlighting different perspectives. We need to be able to shine a light for our game to grow different perspectives that are out there so that a lot of my white peers or teammates, I don't necessarily even blame them that they've maybe felt or thought a certain way because that's been their life experience. But you have to be yeah. able to take a step back and realize, oh, wow, not everyone had that same experience. And that's really unfortunate that their experiences have actually been a lot worse. Um, that Highlighting those different perspectives to me is what creates awareness and education and then can start lead to towards some more change. Um, but again, man, this has been dope. I don't know if you have any other questions for me, man, but this I, I'm, I'm, I'm good, but I've just been loving connecting with you. Like I said, yeah. I was on your podcast, but I didn't get yeah. a chance to actually connect earlier. So I'm happy we got to do it here. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you quickly about you. You talked a little bit about the racism you dealt with when you were younger and the pressure of being like the, the captain in Kitchener. Just, I want to know like a little bit about some of the racism you faced during your career and then. Sure. Your, your time in, in Toronto, I mean, everybody knows it's like probably the toughest market to play in the fans. They'll love you and hate you in the snap of a finger. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Kind of want to know a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, so growing up as a kid, I uh, my first incident, I, th- I was like 13 or 14 years old. And uh, being in Ottawa, I'm very close to the Quebec border. And it was in Buckingham, Quebec, only about, you know, like maybe 25, maybe 30 minutes from where I grew up. So not far at all. And it was, uh, well, there's a couple of incidents, unfortunately, that eventually happened at that rink. But the first one when I was 14 was, I think I had a coincidental um, minor penalty with an opposing player. So we're both in the our own penalty boxes. And there was these two older guys, gentlemen, presumably parents, uh, leaning over the glass and just kind of berating me, chirping me, you know, whatever. They did, probably didn't like that. Maybe I, you know, I don't even know what I did. I probably maybe punched the kid in the head. Who knows? But they're giving it to me for that. And uh, they started saying something and I kind of was like, wait, what are they saying? And I listened and they kept saying like, go back to the bush. You don't belong here. Go back to the bush. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but told my dad who was at the game, who's again, a Jamaican immigrant, um, very much stood out in the Buckingham arena. And he, uh, and I got around, I guess, to some of the parents afterwards and I told them what they had said. And it had been interpreted as, you know, well, the, you don't belong here. It was pretty obvious, but to go back to the bush, essentially I'm telling me, you know, go back to Africa, kid. And I remember that creating a bit of our Francophone parents started like talking to their parents, starting to figure out like, who are these jerks basically? And this is completely inappropriate and nothing really came of it as far as any, you know, punishment, but it definitely became known. I remember amongst the parents that like something racist just happened to one of our players um that was my first kind of intro to it and I still don't really like I just remember it happening not really knowing how to feel and kind of just standing back and almost being almost learning how to feel based on like other parents reactions to it realizing like the severity of it based on how the adults are responding it's kind of yeah again teaches us right like what's right and what's wrong comes from our our our, um, our elders mm-hmm so that was one of my first instances. Then, of course, the one in, in uh, Erie uh, with the guy beside the penalty box. <clears throat> I didn't have too many in, in youth. Um, there's been a lot I've dealt with in the pros. Blatant racism, not always, but a lot of like unconscious bias or microaggressions. And, you know, what I mean or examples of those are even in the NHL, having a, a, a assistant coach run a meeting. I don't remember what the purpose of him saying this was, but he was trying to paint the scene, you know, I, I don't even know what this guy was a little bit crazy, <laughs> but he said, uh, you know, has anyone in here, anyone in this room ever been arrested or ever been in jail? And then to prove his point, he would just like casually look at me right over his shoulder. And now everyone kind of gets that like, ha ha token laugh. Yeah. If anyone in here got arrested, clearly it would be the black guy. This is an NHL locker room. My mom's an educator and my dad's a judge. My dad's a provincial court, Ontario judge. So me being arrested as a hockey player wouldn't even be the worst thing, but me being arrested as a son of a judge (laughs) would have been, Yeah. but like that didn't matter. It didn't matter that actually of anyone in this room who probably hasn't ever been arrested, it's probably the black guy. In turn, it was just like, I'm, I'm making a joke about like, anyone ever spent the night in jail, whatever, blah, 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 looks over at phrase. And I, what do I do? I just have to do like the token, like, ha ha, yeah, probably would have been me. Laugh it off, get on with your point, move on. And that type of thing happened like almost daily. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So like, that's just, and, and it's not some, like it really does, does roll off the back. It wasn't something I ever lost sleep all over, but now that I'm out of the game, you can see it a lot more. I see it. And I realized it was like, obviously sports, you know, we don't have uh, we don't have human resources in, in the locker room. Sports are different culture completely, but in, in experiencing that and being outside of the game now, realizing like, this isn't at all a normal experience for people this is very much just something like black athletes in these types of, you know, white cultures have to deal with. Yeah. So that is something I dealt with a lot and, and continuing at the um, NHL level, most definitely. Now, when it comes to Toronto, um, I loved it playing in Toronto and I was treated very well um, by the organization. My first year with Toronto was awesome. Fans love me. I was like very much a contributing part to why we made the playoffs for the first time in like 10 years. My second year in trial was like, get this guy out of here. He's brutally sucks. Like, like that's how I felt. You know, it was, yeah. it was like you said, it was the highs were high and the lows were low. And it's really hard mentally to try to find that balance as a player. Like you don't pay attention to the media. You don't watch TSN anymore. TSN obviously covers a lot of the leagues. But like if our team's losing, we don't put it on in the morning in the locker room because we don't want to have to like, yeah. we know why we're losing. We don't want the, to hear their opinion on why we're losing. But it really was, um, it was a challenge the second year. I came off a really bad injury. Um, I shattered my skull taking a Milan Lucic slap shot to the face wow. in playoffs. Um, there's a famous picture. If you see, if you Google Mark Fraser CT scan, you'll see like the Terminator image of like a metallic skull <laughs> with like a legit hole in my head. Huh. full reconstructive surgery obviously i wasn't wearing a visor i come back the second game of the season uh the next year i tear my mcl wow. so i just was like low confidence and everything coming back from that still loved it there like still still have a lot of friends uh in the staff the training group was the the, the equipment managers and trainers were amazing um the guys were great it just was like that pressure then coming back in not quite being yourself being a little hesitant and tentative your leash is now shorter and no one's really considering that from the outside perspective. All they're doing is like, well, why isn't this guy the same as what he used to be? Yeah, you know they, don't, I mean? they don't care about that. And it was a very short, I felt like I had a very short leash an opportunity to kind of get back to my normal self before I was out the door and traded to Edmonton. And then, you know, my journey just kind of continued from there. But personally, I loved it. Toronto was awesome. Again, being an Ontario boy, growing up playing for the Leafs, like the second I put that jersey on, I mean, I'd already played for the Devils for about 100 games at that point, but putting that jersey on was like, this feels, this is cool. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is cool. The yeah. pictures in the hallways of Sittler and like the Clarks and the Gilmores and like, it's, I felt like I was becoming a, a part of history, being a part of that organization. And, and I was very, very proud to rep those colors and to rep that squad. It was, it was, a, it was my most enjoyable time in my career. Absolutely. Getting to Toronto is like, even going to like to the stick room, you're kind of like, yeah. Hey, can I, I need another trick. And they're like, Oh, just go ahead. Like you got 20 right there. It's like, it's like playing catch versus playing other places. Yeah. And I was exactly, mm -hmm. I was like, well, like, you mean we can just take whatever, like normally, you know, there's an inventory and a budget, like jerseys, like you can have six, of course, but like just yeah. ask first. So we know how many you're taking. Toronto was just like, help yourself. I was like, this is what the NHL is like. Damn. This is... <laughs> so it was dope, man. I had a, 
had a great time. But again, the, the classy, very classy, classy organization. I, I love my time there. I just wish I could have lasted longer. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. But uh, anything else you got for me? No, I think that's it. Oh, but man, this has been a, honestly, man, this has been a privilege. I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, again, I'm really happy that the Rangers have done this. I think you and I yeah, are, are part of real. something cool having, uh, being former Rangers alum. I'm really proud. I've always, always proud of being a Kitchener Ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love my time there. I love the city. I love the people, the fans, all that. The boys were dope. Um, but this is cool. I mean, we, we know what it's like in the hockey culture to not have this. Yeah, to have them creating a program, a BIPOC program to be able to educate their athletes, their fans, their staff. Um, I think that's dope. This is the type of growth we need to see the change that we want to see down the road for minority involvement in hockey. Yeah, for real. So it's, uh, I hope they keep this up and, you know, I hope they have both of us back, whether it's together or separate, doing different things to help out. But definitely, man, definitely. I'm down for the cause. So. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm eager to help for sure. All right. So anyone who does want to follow you or hear a little bit more about your journey um, and follow your journey, where can, uh, where can people connect with you? Yeah, I believe on Twitter, it's just Elijah Roberts 98. Um, not really on Facebook, but on Instagram, it's Elijah underscore Roberts 98. Um, I'm always on my social media. So feel free to message me with any questions. Uh, if you're a young black hockey player who needs something to talk about, shoot me a message. If you're an old black hockey player, need something to talk about, shoot me a message. Or just any hockey player who's got questions or something to talk about, I'm always uh, open to talk about things. I love that. I love that. And I got to look mine up here. <laughs> but same as well. I'm, uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, sorry, not on Facebook, but on um, Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, my handle is Mark. Uh, sorry, where am I here? Mark.Fraser.2, but it shouldn't be too hard. Mark.Fraser.2 on Insta. And my Twitter is at MarkFraser02. Um, but yeah, I'm on same thing as Elijah. Happy to connect with anyone who's interested in connecting further or in uh, checking out some of uh, what I'm into. Um, also, you know, very passionate about this and the whole diversity and inclusion space, especially as it pertains to the hockey community. So um, you can find out some of what I'm doing on those platforms. But again, thank you everyone for attending and, and checking the both of us out. Uh, the Kitchener Rangers um, Club 63 podcast. Really happy that we got to do this takeover. And, and like you said, Elijah, hopefully maybe we can do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Dope. All right. Well, thanks, man. Again, pleasure chatting with you. And, and uh, yeah, best of luck uh, with your upcoming um, season and, and just hockey endeavors. Thank you.